0: welcome to today's service. I'm bringing you a message that summarizes all that we have shared in the course of this month. The first month or rather the first Sunday we spoke about Christian salutations which was followed up with a subsequent message. Remember the poor. And the third Sunday, we spoke about fine work to do. The fourth Sunday, which was last week's Sunday, we spoke about God's wish for you and me. And to summarize everything, the Lord said, I shall speak about his love. So I caption it "True love. Is there any fake love? Maybe the scriptures will help us to understand. So turn your bibles with me if you have your bible to first corinthians chapter number 13. the book that talks about love as far as apostle paul's writings are concerned the man who spoke about love more was apostle john but here between chapter 12 and chapter 14 of first corinthians chapter 30 is a sandwich between 12 and 14. We talk about spiritual gifts. In other words, the spiritual gifts are governed by love. Whatever we do must be initiated, organized, administered, supervised by love. If that is not the case, then our labor is in vain. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, That your labor and my labor will not be in vain as we talk about true love this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. In the first place, what is love? Someone has rightly defined love as the commitment to the well-being of another. The commitment to the well-being of another. So, when we say God loves us, it means God is committed to our well-being. When I say I love you, it means I am committed to your well-being. I know there are some people who say I love you, but actually they mean something else. Because there is a counterfeit of love called lust. It is fake love fake love or lust is where the person will pretend he is committed or she is committed to your well-being and yet the person wants to use you for his or her selfish gain to satisfy him or herself he is not actually seeking your well-being she is not seeking your well-being it is pretense, it is fake love but this morning I'm not talking about fake love, I'm talking about true love Because if we're going to practice Christian salutations, it must be born of true love. If we're going to remember the poor, it must be born of true love. If you are even going to find work to do, it must be motivated by true love. And if you are talking about God's wish for you and me, you should understand that it is because God himself loved us. That is why he wished that we will prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13 as we read through the verses of scripture. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. Verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, to be burned but i've not love it profits me nothing love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies. They will fail. Whether there are tongues. They will cease. Whether there is knowledge. It will vanish away. For we know in part. And we prophesy in part. but then I shall know just as I am I also just as I also am known 13 says and now abide faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love somebody say amen to the reading of the scriptures can you tone down the keyboard for me please, let me teach let me, let me teach if it's loud I'll be tempted to be ministering, but I want to teach. So let me go the teaching. All right. There's always an atmosphere for every service. If it's a worship service, if it's a miracle service, we can allow, you know, the music to go in that direction. But I'm teaching this morning because God wants me to teach on true love. Apostle Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, Now, quickly, he is not condemning tongues here. He is making a comparison. But you can also identify that whenever we speak in tongues, there are two things that happen. Either we are speaking the tongues of men or of angels. The tongues of men is what we call known tongues. It's unknown to the speaker. But it is known to those who are hearing. Like it happened on the day of Pentecost, Remember, today is Pentecost Sunday, commemoratively. So, talking about speaking in tongues, I know that it is significant as far as today is concerned. Because some 2,000 years ago, or 2,020 years ago, thereabout, the Holy Spirit came down as a gift from our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he also came, he gave us gifts. He gave us The ability to commune with our father at his level. The gift of speaking in tongues. If you have not received the Holy Spirit, you are actually denying yourself of so many things that you could enjoy before we check out of this world. Alright? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So clearly, you can also speak in tongues of angels. That one is unknown tongues. And both, you are not speaking to men. In that case of the apostles on the day of Pentecost, they were speaking... A language they themselves didn't know because they were all Galileans, they were Hebrews, and yet the, the hearers could hear them in their various tongues and their various languages. Are you following me, child of God? So, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not laughed, he said, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I'm speaking the tongues of men and of angels but it is not motivated by my commitment to the well-being of another. First, to the well-being of the kingdom of God because our love is to God and then to our neighbor. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. So, true love will first be geared towards commitment to the well-being of the kingdom of God the well-being of the purposes of God ensuring that God's agenda on earth is fulfilled Jesus told his foster father Joseph and Mary at the age of 12 when they sought for him for three days and found him in the temple he asked them don't you know that I must be about my father's business at the age of 12 he had caught the revelation that he was to committed to the well-being of his father The kingdom and its work. That was the love of Jesus at that tender age. So what I'm trying to say is that if we are speaking in tongues, tongues of men, tongues of angels, but we don't understand that it's not just about us. Life is not just about living for yourself. What you eat, what you drink, and that's all. There must be a motivation behind their tongues seeking the well-being of the kingdom of God and the well-being of people in the kingdom as well as even those who are outside the kingdom all right number two and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge what does this verse tell us it tells us that the gift of prophecy is not only to foretell or to prophesy or to foretell. But with that gift comes a certain revelation which has not been taught so much in the body of Christ. From that line, you realize that the gift of prophecy also has the ability to impart understanding into all mysteries and all knowledge. That is why those who teach, they say that teaching is is that it's also part of you know the gift or of the pro- or the gift of prophecy or is part of the prophetic so to speak but there's a dichotomy there's a difference between the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching but the highest level of teaching where you are teaching all mysteries and all knowledge and you have understanding into all mysteries and all knowledge is prophetic that is why they claim that the gift of prophecy includes you know teaching but the truth of the matter is that all these things if they are done and there is no motivation of the commitment to the well-being of the kingdom of God and of his purposes it is not committed to the well-being of another he says that it is nothing or the person who is doing that is nothing and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains so you see with faith we can move mountains God is not condemning all these things just because he's talking about love when God brings a revelation he does not use it to substitute the foundational revelations he comes to art it is like building so many times some of us get a particular revelation for instance during the half night, I was saying that some people have learned the language of faith. They know how to speak for faith. And they don't know that before you start declaring faith, you've got to know that there's a place called communion with the Father. And I cited an example that ever before God would say, let there be light, the Spirit of God moved first upon the face of the waters. So until you get the Holy Spirit his place, his proper place through communion, through fellowship and let him have the right of way, You may make all the declarations. It will not work. But even if you have all faith and you can move mountains. But you don't have love. He says, I am nothing. And I believe that anybody can also say the same. Nothing. You may be something in the sight of man. But nothing in the sight of God. Because God is love. God is intrinsically committed to the well-being of the whole world. That he so loved the world. Which, which world? Is it the structures that are in the world? Is it the buildings? No. He's talking about the people that are in the world. He so loved the world. The world of sinners. That he gave. His only begotten son. That whoever believes in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. Glory be to God. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods. To feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned. But I have no love. It profits me nothing. Now this tells us child of God. That we can practice Christian salutations. We can remember the poor. And even give all our goods to feed the poor. And yet it may still not be motivated. By true love. Maybe there is a different motive. An ulterior motive to prove a point for showmanship, for name, fame, and popularity, for you know, uh, recognition, maybe local recognition, regional recognition, national rec- recognition, continental recognition, or global recognition, or even international recognition. What is the motive behind you remembering the poor or calling somebody and saying, I greet you with a holy kiss? Did you say, I greet you with a holy kiss because you have in mind that this particular person, I must corner him somewhere, corner her somewhere and have him or her satisfy myself? Or it is because you are burdened to see to it that this person does well, just as you are doing well. True love, child of God, is the commitment to the well-being of another. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. So it's not enough for us to remember the poor. That's what God is telling us in this summary. It, is, it must be motivated by love. And I thank God that for us who are Christians... Romans 5.5 5 tells us that the love of God is shed abroad, is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I can't say that for those who are not in Christ. I can't say the same for those who are not in Christ. I'm talking about those of us who are in Christ. Because if you're not in Christ, I don't know what is in your heart. But for those who are in Christ, we don't need to look for love because it's in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and goes on and on and on. Nine of them. It is like an orange fruit. When you cut an orange fruit, you find different segments. And yet, it is one fruit. So it's one fruit, but it has different segments. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. I think I need to memorize the nine. Every time I quote, I stop somewhere. (laughs) We'll go back to Sunday school. Glory be to God. All right and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned hey you can give your body to be burned do you know about the dark ages and after the dark ages the great persecution the church suffered some didn't deny their faith they gave themselves to be burned the question is if you do that but it is not born by love there could be several reasons why somebody will give his or her body to be burned. Maybe you are tired of this life. Do you know somebody can say that I, I'm even disappointed in this God. If they will kill me, I'm even suffering, let them kill me. So it's possible that somebody can offer himself as a Christian to be burned under persecution. And yet, it's not because a person loves God so much that I, I am ready to pay any price. But because probably the person is disappointed. It's like, all die be die. So if they are come to bear me, let them bear me. After all, this God, if He cares so much, why should He allow me even to be to be seen? Maybe you were hiding. The person was hiding and was found. If God has allowed them to be for, allowed them to find me, then let them kill me. So it's not everybody who offered him or herself to lions, lions eating people up. Some were thrown from a hill this world, the 21st century world that we live in, we haven't seen any persecution. I know there are pockets of persecution in one country or the other in this present world, but the kind of persecution those people of the first century into the dark ages suffered, we haven't seen it. But Apostle Paul is saying that though I give my body to be burned but have not loved, it profits me nothing. There is no profit in it. What is your motive? You know, true love Looks for the motive behind what you are doing, the motive behind what you are saying. Say, I greet you with the holy kiss. What is the motive behind that greeting with the holy kiss? That's what we learned the first Sunday, third May. Christian salutations. What is the motive? You are calling so that you will corner that lady somewhere. Be careful. <laughs> verse 4 love now he's telling us the nature of this true love let's go into verse 4 downwards the the picture the nature the behavior the mannerism the character of this true love we are defining love suffers long remember part of the fruit of the spirit is long suffering so it's like love is the senior most amongst the nine portions of the fruit of the spirit love suffers long love has long suffering and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself it's not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own have you seen the definition of love that is the definition of love it does not seek its own jesus said in john 15 greater love has no man than this that a man should lay down his life for his friends love does not seek its own it's not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Then he said, love never fails. I like that. Let me just pause at verse 8. We'll be going downwards. Love never fails. You might have tried everything and you have failed. I won't say try love, but trust love because God is love. If you are walking in true love and the love of God is in your heart, then trust love. Act love. Do love. Let go of your bowels of Compassion. The King James actually calls it charity. Charity is practical love. Demonstrative love. Love that is not just in words, but is in deeds. It is the utmost commitment to the well-being of another. You see, from verse 4 into verse 7. Why I didn't dwell on all of them is that I just want to summarize verse 4 to 7 in one word. Child of God, love does not true love, I mean, does not look at oh, this one is from this tribe. Therefore, I will love him or her other than this tribe. This one is from this nation. Therefore, I will love him or her other than this other person from this nation. This one is black or white. Therefore, I will love him or her better than the other complexion. This one is more educated than the other one. So I will love him more more than the one who is not educated. This one is, you see, love looks beyond the outward and looks at that soul who shall not perish when God breathed into man Bible says man became a living soul man became a living soul and so when God so loved the world it was that portion of himself that he put into man that he so realized that this is a part of me he is just like me I don't want him to perish There is something about me, God, that I've put in this man. I don't want him to perish. It is like, it is like your child. In tree, they say that we are, we became a part of God when he breathed into man and man became a living soul. So no matter where we are coming from, no matter how wrong we were in Adam, God looked beyond all those limitations and saw a soul that should not perish. And out of that passion and compassion, he reached out. While we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love and still demonstrates his love towards us. So he does not discriminate. He does not say that you did this. Therefore, I won't do that. His love covers. Love covers multitude of sins. Love overlooks. Love just realizes that look, this person is not doing his or her part, but I'm committed to your well-being, so I'll do my part. And it does not fail. The other person may fail but God says that love never fails. So you must have tried many things and it didn't work. Don't just try love, trust love let the love of Christ that is in you be the motivation behind your Christian salutations be the motivation behind you remembering the poor be the motivation behind you finding work to do be the motivation behind you wishing you know for yourself what God wishes for you and above all learn and cherish the act of practicing true love because if we didn't have the ability god wouldn't have even demanded that from us in the first place for us to walk in love love never fails let me clarify some things subsequently from the verse 8 he says but whether there are prophecies they will fail i know some people have misconstrued this verse misunderstood this verse and they have tend to say that you see that is why i don't want to believe prophecies because whether they are prophecies they will fail what is this verse saying contextually that's the question in context what is apostle Paul saying you see if you read downwards he tells us that we know in part and we prophesy in part prophecy is partial prophecy may foretell what God may be doing in the future. But do you know that regardless of whatever prophecy anybody is carrying presently, maybe God has told you that in the next number of years, you are going to be the the next president of the Republic of Ghana. Glory be to God. I can use that as an example. Prophecies will fail in the sense that Apart from the fact that if you don't do your part, it can fail. Here, he's saying that when that which is whole, which is complete, comes, we don't need a partial again. In other words, Jesus's coming can intercept any prophetic declaration and make it a failure. When what will you need the shadow for when you have the real? That's the question. I said, What will you need the shadow for between shadow and real? Which one will you go for? You'll go for the real. So, whatever God has foretold in prophecy, I'm talking about, apart from prophecies that talk about the end time, that he will do A, B, C. For those ones, they will ultimately usher us into the wholeness, into the complete picture, when we shall know, just as we are known. I'll read that. We'll we'll, we'll discuss that subsequently. I'm saying that, prophecies, so whether there be prophecies, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. They will fail in the sense that when the true picture comes, when, the, when, the, when what is whole comes, when that which is not partial comes, you don't need the partial again. So it will be abandoned. Just like the next line says, whether there are tongues, they will cease. Why is he saying so? When we are ushered into the world to come, do I call it the world to come? When we, are, when we are taken out of this world, when we are known just as we are, I mean, uh, when we know just as we are known, we won't need to speak in tongues again. The ability to speak in tongues is for now. It is for us to be able to go beyond the infirmities, what Romans 8 calls infirmities, limitations of the flesh to be able to reach out to God and commune with God at his level. But when we have now reached God's level and we have put on our glorified bodies, we won't need tongues again. I don't know which language we will speak, but we will speak anyway. Somebody said, we will speak Hebrews. Who told you? Is God only the God of Hebrews? He's also the God of the Gentiles. But we will speak the language of God. In other words, at that level, you wouldn't need to be told that this is this this is that you will know just as you are known it's a language i believe it will be the very language that humankind was speaking before god scattered you know languages in genesis chapter 11. so the very language god gave to man from the onset the very language god was fellowshipping with adam and eve with before he scattered languages is the same language that we will speak when we get to that level we won't need tongues again we won't be speaking in unknown tongues it will be one language. What God did from the beginning, it shall be whole again. So, if there are tongues, they will cease. Doesn't mean that stop speaking in tongues. Some people use to say that, look, tongues will even cease, so I don't need to speak in tongues. It's a, miscon- it's, it's a misconception. It's a wrong kind of interpreting, I mean, the verse of Scripture. Am I communicating? All right. Then, whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. What do you know? Or what don't you know? No matter the knowledge, the Greeks were pursuing, you know, knowledge, just like the the, the, the Hebrews were also pursuing knowledge. They were pursuing light. The, The Greeks pursued, you know, knowledge, classical knowledge. And whatever you have known, it can never be compared to when we shall be ushered into the realm where we have whole and complete knowledge. It is there. You will see it. He said, "Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, the Greek word is ginosko. That is partial knowledge. Revelation knowledge. The knowledge that is given for the moment. What you need for now. There is nobody, child of God, anybody who tells you that I know everything whilst living on this earth. You can look at that person's face and tell him again, okay, you are a liar. So long as you live within the confines of this physical body which is a limitation on the spirit there is nobody who has been given absolute complete and full knowledge there is nobody other than that scripture it's not true the bible says let god be true but every man a liar for we know in part and we prophesy in part there is nobody who can say that, look, I can prophesy from your great, great, great grandfather to your... No, you don't know it all. You don't know it all. I have heard some preachers saying that there is nothing that I cannot know. It's a lie. It's a lie. Then you, have, you are telling us that you are not a human being. But if you live within the confines of this physical container, the body, which is a veil, then what is given you is only partial we know we did not score, we have revelation knowledge which is needed for the now and we prophesy based on that knowledge partially all right then he said but when that which is perfect has come what is he talking about you see because of the flesh there is an imperfection but when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away so, when that which is, all that I said from the beginning about, you know, uh, from verse 8 onwards, when that which is perfect has come, we will need prophecy again because you know, just as I know. Nobody will need to tell you that this is Enoch, this is Abraham, this is Elijah. You just know, just as you are known. When you arrive in heaven and you are perfected, you will need prophetic knowledge because you have absolute knowledge, complete knowledge, full knowledge, perfect knowledge of all things. I like God. What, what a glorious future that awaits the church. It's a wonderful relationship. It's going to be an intercourse of knowledge. It's like you know and God knows and you're working together because you are, you understand? It's beautiful. Whatever we pride ourselves in now is nothing compared to what awaits us when that when the which is perfect has come. For we know in part and we prophesy in power but when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away we won't need tongues again because tongues is in part it is just to help us in our infirmities but now we will be talking the language that god talks we will not need prophecy because prophecy is in part we won't need some some malicious knowledge something that you have gone to capture somewhere because whatever you know i also know that is when the perfect has come oh my god Look at verse eleven. So when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Why did Paul use that? He used that as a an knowledge to say that it is like what we are doing now. We are like children. When you become a man, you put away childish things. When you were a child, you were pooping on yourself, whimpering on yourself. When you become a man, you can't do that. You hold yourself together. Even if you are pressed to be, you hold it together. Are you there? When you were a child, what are some of the things that you used to do when you were a child? I'm asking you a question. I said, what are some of the things that you used to do? You can type it if you are watching on Facebook. What are some of the things that you used to do when you were a child? But when you become a man, you put away childish things. So whatever we pride ourselves in now, whether it is some powerful knowledge somewhere, or some big prophecy, or some tongues that nobody has ever heard, all these things are in the partial domain of our existence now. But when that which is perfect has come, we'll we'll do away with the partial. Because the perfect has come. So we don't need the partial. All right. So that's what he's giving us in the verse 11. Now, verse 12 clarifies communicating he says for now take note of the word now presently we see in a mirror dimly come on this is what I'm talking about you see the flesh is a veil when you are looking through a veil and you want to see beyond the veil it is not as perfect as when the veil is taken away and now you can see clearly so no matter how big your revelation is, no matter even if you do how many days of fasting and you sharpen your spirit so much, it is still, so long as you are still within the container, I mean the, the curtains of your physical body, which is a veil, whatever you are seeing is still deep compared to that which is perfect, which is to come. Am I communicating somebody? So that we will humble ourselves because love, does not pride itself. It's not puffed up. So that you will not say that I am the only, only who has all it takes to know all knowledge. That is why I, I, I wonder why some people have questioned that. Where are they? So people who said they are prophets. How come they didn't know anything about coronavirus? How come if God chose to hide it from everybody? What is your problem? What is your problem? What is your problem? problem? The Bible says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he falls. There is nobody on this planet Earth who knows it all. If that person exists, I would say he's not a human being. But if you are a human being and you are within the curtains, the the, the confines of the curtains of the flesh, which is a veil, then you don't know it all. So that you will not prophesy and then we have to carry you on our neck and and show that you are there all in all. You are not all in all. You don't know it all. Am I communicating? You don't know it all. So we humble ourselves. Love does not work in pride. Love just knows that, look, it's not me. It is God at work in me. So whatever God uses me for, it is for his glory and to his glory alone. Now we see in a mirror, for now, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, whatever your visions are, as powerful as it is, in the sight of God, it is still dim. Do you know dim? We see in a mirror dimly. The King James say we see in a glass. It's like trying to watch something on a you know on a television screen, and the thing is not clear. And sometimes we use that to manipulate those who are ignorant. Now see, I'm not seeing clearly, but I'm going to. If you can just you know, bring some money. I'll go and do some fast, and God will just show me. Who? If God chooses not to show you it doesn't matter how long you go and fast he will not show you because now we see in a mirror dimly don't use your gift of revelation your gift of prophecy your gift of word of knowledge word of wisdom descent of spirit to manipulate God's people I bring some money I'll do a fast on your behalf I I don't know which scripture tells me that to do I'm to do so you are isn't the gift and beware Because that's not born of love. It is manipulation. And manipulation is synonymous with witchcraft. That is why the works of the flesh in Galatians five includes witchcraft. Many people are in church practicing witchcraft and yet they don't know. Repent. Because Jesus Christ is coming back. You. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Then he said, but then, I like the word then, but then, face to face. In other words, at a level when I see God the way he sees me, I don't need to go and get some tongues now to, you know, to edify myself. It is face to face. What we are doing now, we are living by faith. But then, a day will come, faith shall be turned to sight, where you will see him face to face. He said, now, the just shall live by faith. That's presently. But a day will come, we will not live by faith alone. We will see face to face. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Then, then has to do it when the perfect has come. When everything has been perfected when we are in our perfect glorified bodies there will be no more veil we will see face to face even if you didn't know your great-great-great-great-grandfather great when you see him you know that this was the great-great-great-grandfather that gave to your gave birth to your grandfather and then to your father you will know for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face then he said now I know in part Hey, 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 this is what I was talking about. Now, child of God, now but as presently you will never know in full. The Greek word translated know there is still ginosko, partial knowledge. Now I know in part. Do you know the man who is writing here? If you go to his second book to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 12, he spoke about how he was caught to the third heavens and saw things he said he heard things that they were not lawful for him to talk about and yet he says that regardless of all those big big encounters it is still in part so what are you saying by telling us that you know everything you don't know everything you don't now I know in part we must humble ourselves love will make you humble yourself true love that it doesn't matter what God shows you, it's still in part. That is why, if somebody asks you, so how come God didn't show you that coronavirus is coming? He said, Brother, I know in part. If God chose not to show me, it is because we are living in the just to tell you that we are not yet perfect, we are being perfected, but we are not yet there, so I know in part. And based on that personal knowledge, he said, Then he said, Now I know in part, but then I shall know. The Greek word is not no. It's not ginosko here. The second word no is epigenosco. I know in part now. I ginosko in part, but then I shall epiginosko. Epiginosko is full, complete, exact, full knowledge. So you see, the English language is not rich. So if you read it in English language, you will not get it how it was communicated in the Greek language. Now, I know in part, I go in part, but then I shall gynosko, I shall epikynosco. I shall have exact, complete knowledge. I shall know just as I also am known. That is what I meant by intercourse of knowledge. Intercourse of knowledge. Throughout eternity is going to be more exciting than any excitement you can have, you can ever have in this life now, because the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know. So you long to know, and yet you know. It shall be an exciting. God is the embodiment. Bible says, "In Christ dwells all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." And then He has brought you to the place of perfection, where you also know, just as you are known. And then there's an intercourse of that knowledge sharing in the knowledge of God throughout eternity is going to be an exciting journey. Anybody who tells you that heaven will be boring is himself boring. I'm telling you. He doesn't know anything. (laughs) As anybody who tells you that heaven will be boring, that means the person doesn't know anything. He doesn't know these things. And God is longing for such times when we shall be perfected and we will know as we are known. Let me end with the Verse 13. And now, presently, abide faith, hope, love. Presently. Okay? Now we live by faith. Now we live in hope. He says, and now abide, presently, abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because love transcends now. When we cross from now into the future. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that we will not need to live by faith again. He says, "Now the church shall live by faith." But then, when we see face to face, faith, faith has been turned to side. so we will not need faith. But now we need it. When we shall cross from now into the next phase, the perfect state, the perfect—I mean, into perfection—we will not need to live in hope again. Bible says, "What you see, why? why do you now hope for it?" Romans chapter eight. What do you see why because we will know we will see face to face so we don't need hope again but now we need hope but love is both for now and for the one to come so love is the greatest so true love must be the motivation behind all that we are doing other than that whatever we do if you if you if you do christian salutations you remember the poor You find work to do. You know that God's wish for you and me is for us to prosper and be in hell. And you know all these things. But it's not motivated by true love. What is going to happen is that it has no reward. It will burn to ashes. Jesus will look through your works with his eyes which are like unto flame of fire. And everything will burn to ashes. And you will suffer loss. And you yourself will be saved as though by fire. Because he will try everything. God is the only person who can judge the right motive behind what we do. Some are doing things just because they want to be recognized. They want to have a name attached to their name. Why are you part of what the people are doing? Is it so that you too can also attach your name and go somewhere with that name? Can we check our motive? I'm ending my message. Check your motive. Check the motivation behind what you are doing. As we cross into the month of June, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we will set our motives right. That we will not just live for ourselves, but live for a cause. The greatest living is to live for the one who died for you. He told us, occupy till I come. other words take my place step into my shoes continue from where i have left off do what i would have done if i were around i pray in the name of the lord jesus christ that in the practice of christian salutations as we remember the poor as we find work to do as we know about god's wish for us and for others and work in prosperity and good health it will be motivated By true love, the love of the father, the love that seeks the commitment, the well-being of the other. Love that is committed, that is passionate, that does not discriminate, that does not look at, oh, this one is from this tribe, this one is from this country, this one is white, this one is black, but love that sees a soul who should not perish. I pray that no matter how gifted we become, how powerful our gifts become, we will not pride ourselves in it because it is in part. It is still partial knowledge. Partial knowledge cannot be compared to perfect knowledge. Then we shall know just as we are known. We shall know. We shall epignosko. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that no matter the revelation God gives you, you will not come to the place where you say that I know all things. It's pride talks like that, and it offends God because it contradicts the Scripture never you say that, you are making yourself like Satan, Lucifer, yeah I don't know who I'm talking to man I don't know why I'm stressing on this but never come to the place where you say when you know everything just tell us I don't know anything because we are still within the, the curtains of this physical body it's a veil but the Holy Spirit has been given to us to help that infirmity, that limitation so why don't you give the glory to the helper other than to yourself the Holy Spirit is in us to receive that first place, to receive that glory. He is God all by himself. When God has worked through you, remember it's not by might, it's not by power. It's by my spirit, says yes, the Lord. Let's give due recognition to the one who is at work in us so that we will never take his glory. Lift your voice. Let's begin to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.